Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Decoding TV listeners, it's David Chen here, and I'm recording this after we made the main episode. I just wanted to comment on a couple of quick things. First of all, during the course of this episode, we comment on how the location in Succession Season 4, Episode 5 looks very similar to Oscar Isaac's house from Ex Machina. That's because it is the same location. It is, in fact, the Juvet Landscape Hotel, which you can actually book a place to stay in and uh, cost around $500, $600 for a night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so check it out. But just wanted to let people know it is the same place. The other thing I wanted to mention is the song that Kendall is listening to in the car on his way to Waystar Royco is Jay-Z's Takeover from his album Blueprint. So anyway, I just wanted to add in that supplemental info. Enjoy the episode. Well, uh, three-point PR plan is off the top of my head. Point one might be hard for you but stop sending people your blood (laughs) hello everyone and welcome to decoding tv a podcast about (laughs) television i'm david chen and i'm kim renfro (laughs) on today's episode (laughs) and i've never sent anyone my blood (laughs) uh let's not make claims we can't defend kim fair i'm like roman at the end of the last episode you're like i don't think there's anything on paper to that effect i'm like uh Mm, Kim, are you sure about that? Um, anyway, you can <laughs> on today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing season four, episode five of Succession, entitled "Kill List." You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Decoding TV. We're broadcasting live on uh decoding tv youtube channel every week uh to talk about this week in streaming and other stuff that's coming out and also a reminder if you are enjoying this podcast you're you're sitting there in your car in your house doing dishes listening to decoding tv you're like boy this podcast is great uh if you would like the show the podcast to continue and have a solvent and bright future consider subscribing to decodingtv.com become a paid member at decodingtv.com get ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus episodes all season. I am checking in with David Cho, a media expert. And we are talking about how realistic some of the stuff in succession is. And those are bonus episodes available to paid members at decodingtv.com. So a uh, huge shout out to the paid members at decodingtv.com for making this show possible. And uh, please consider becoming one of them because it's through the paid members that this podcast can continue operating. Before we get into... The episode, I, I, you know, we want to follow up on some of the stuff that from last week's episode, season four, episode four, uh, entitled Honeymoon States, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, there's been a bunch of things that have happened in the real world mm. in the last couple weeks that I feel are worth pointing out as they relate to uh, Succession. Yeah. First of all, I wanted to direct people's attention to Gabriel Sherman's excellent Vanity Fair profile of Rupert Murdoch. Kim, you and I have both read this profile, and I think we all had suspicions, not not even suspicions, like it was outright confirmed that Jesse Armstrong had originally written a Murdoch show. Uh, so the Roys were heavily inspired by the Murdochs, but I don't think we understood like the full extent to which some of the plots were were inspired by the Murdochs. And in particular, Gabriel Sherman's profile focuses on Rupert Murdoch's health, and obviously that plays a huge role 
in this season of the show. So uh, I, I just want to encourage people to check out the profile. There's tons of parallels to what's going on today uh, in succession. And yeah. uh, it's worth worth checking out. Kim, you, I think you had a chance to take a look at it as well, right? Yeah. And just as someone who knows, like, I feel like my little expertise corner is like all the fi- the fictional stories and how they get turned into television. All of like the non-fictional stuff that gets drawn upon for a lot of dramas these days, I'm less informed with. And so having someone write such a like incisive and very detailed profile that made me just like, I was like raising my eyebrows every five seconds because I was like, whoa, that felt like something I've seen in succession or, oh, I thought that that was like a totally fictionalized situation, but no. So I think in the same way that people like love to watch the crown and then get like the real stories behind everything, like succession has so many really cool, well thought out storylines that you can get sort of real world analogies for. And this is a, a perfect example of that. I think one of the conditions of Rupert Murdoch's divorce with his ex-wife was that she could not supply succession writers plot lines for the show. So that is how closely tied in, uh, you know, the real life Murdoch's are to the show. Mm-hmm. The other thing I feel the need to bring up is this past week, the company SpaceX launched a rocket called Starship that exploded shortly after it took off. And, uh, you know, it was an unmanned rocket. Uh, obviously, it's upsetting whenever an explosion, an unpredictable thing happens. Like, it's possible people get hurt. But um, I also think that it is pretty funny um, as well. <laughs> because uh, Elon Musk, I think, is like an inspiration for many of the aspects of succession. I would argue that he is very... Uh, that Matt, the character of Matson is heavily inspired by Elon Musk. I would, I would say, um, and I can point to a few parallels if people disbelieve me. But like, uh, you know, in Succession season one, Roman oversees a rocket launch. The rocket explodes. <laughs> um, this episode has heavily features Matson. Elon Musk, I think, heavily inspired Matson. So I just want to bring that up because it just really feels like uh, real life and fiction converging on a on a very profound level. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to do was read this comment from Nate from DecodingTV.com. Kim, there was some... We, we tried to speculate last week about like what, it, what is Kendall trying to achieve. And I think this week it became pretty clear that he's just trying to be his dad. Like that, That's my interpretation of the events of this week's episode. Yeah, be his dad while also somehow defying everything Logan wanted in the last few months of his life <laughs> a little combo well i don't know about defying but yeah I, I, like logan wanted the deal and kendall's trying to kill the deal this episode right so like that's yeah that's where it diverges but but he does have a point we'll talk about it anyway nate yeah. from decoding tv writes uh, uh as a comment quote it is a bummer to see kendall back on his psychosexual C- ceo bullshit It's always been bizarre to watch Kendall so awkwardly try and use profanity and dominance, sexual and otherwise, as a leadership slash negotiating tactic like Logan did, only to come off sounding like the MBA student still hanging around his frat from undergrad. Uh, As anyone in recovery from addiction will tell you, the human brain is malicious and masterful in its attempts to persuade you that this one cigarette, this one beer, this one lottery ticket, etc. is what you need and it won't be a problem. When Kendall sees his name on that paper and we hear the main theme underscoring him on piano, we are watching a full relapse take place. He is Wiley Coyote, gazing longingly at the Roadrunner at the edge of the cliff, mere meters away. Logan is dead. The board is behind him. There's no Acme brand TNT or anvils in sight. 
He has every chance to walk away now. Uh, but the allure of being the man his father was, being the cold-hearted SOB that would skip a birthday party to make a sale, has him sprinting towards the edge of the cliff with oops sign in hand, end quote. Amazing comment. Great summary of what the dynamics are. And yeah, I, I, I would agree that that is kind of what we are witnessing at this point. Yeah. I, I had some doubts. I was like, maybe he's trying to pull some other game. But no, I think like, I think this is, this accurately describes what Kendall is right now. Yeah. And it is like, yeah. <laughs> Sprinting towards the edge of the cliff, oops, sign in his hand. It's like yeah. that, that feeling that he is aware of how self-destructive this is right now. But like, he's just in it full throttle i don't know if he's aware you know i don't oh, know if he's yeah. aware of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> kendall this is why jeremy strong is so good this yeah. is like like the fact that he can get across all of those different layers of what kendall is experiencing and what he's trying to posture versus what he really thinks is just like it's an incredible performance of a very well-written and complicated character agreed well, let's get into the episode, season four, episode five, Kill List. Let's talk about overall thoughts. Kim Renfro, what do you think of this episode of Succession? I loved that, like, now I'm fully in the rhythm of, like, one day, one episode. It's been, like, really yeah. fun to be like, oh, okay. Like, it, it is now clear that every episode is going to take place over the course of one day in these people's lives and that season four is probably going to cover around 10 days, which means likely that... um. Episode 10 will culminate in the election, is my guess. Because in episode one, I think Connor says the election is 10 days away. Yeah, that um, sounds so, great. So, yeah, I feel like it, I feel like the pacing so far, because of that choice, it's doing a really good job of like resetting the tension a little bit, but there's still so much like simmering that picks right up from the previous episode. Yeah. I thought this episode was okay. Uh, yeah. This is probably like the weakest episode so far, in my opinion. Uh, I I predicted that the Roy kids would start screwing each other over, you know, but I thought that would take at least two, three episodes before that oh, started no. happening. Next morning. But no, literally <laughs> the next day, they're right back at it. Um, it's been hours. <laughs> yeah. They're already hiding things from each other and like undermining each other. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it would take a little bit longer than that, but unfortunately it's already happening. So. There you go. Uh, this episode is one of the most beautiful episodes I think I've ever seen. Mm. Like, there is a shot where they are riding up the side of this waterfall that is just like heart stoppingly beautiful. I, you know, I, I think they're in Norway when yeah. this is, you know, in, for this corporate retreat, and it's just like ridiculous. And you can just sense the money pouring out of all these people. They didn't need to shoot it. They could have just had Matson. At his office. You know, they could have shot it in the office building, but I feel like uh, it reminds me of um, of Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie talking about Mission Impossible. Mm. And there's a, there's a scene in Mission Impossible 5 where they're, they're at this opera house and they leave the opera house. And, and in the script, it's like, Tom Cruise and Rebecca Ferguson leave the opera house. And Tom Cruise is like, well, that's not going to work. Like, this is a Mission Impossible movie. And so they they have this whole sequence where they like jump off the roof and grab onto this rope and slide down it and barely make it out alive or whatever. Um, it feels like there was the option of, hey, maybe we could just have this at an office park in Norway. And Jesse Armstrong is like, this is succession. You know, this isn't this isn't the office, the sitcom on NBC, you know, like 
so they really went all out for this one and it show it's it looks amazing. It's, it yeah. uh, it really does. And I was also once again really keyed into the color palettes that mm-hmm. we're seeing this episode. I've talked on earlier uh pods about the fact that, you know, Kendall is almost always wearing brown or like mm-hmm. a very muddy gray color where it's like you can't even tell if it's brown or gray. Um, whereas Logan was often dressed in like navies and, and shades of blue. And you can see like Shiv is wearing a lot of brown in this episode, I think, because she was like, it's just all of all of the color palettes and the connections between the characters, I think, have been very well executed this season. And then this episode, it was like taking all of those and then showing you them in the real world. Like now we're in an entire universe that looks very brown and maybe blue and like a little bit green here and there. But I thought it tied in nicely as you're seeing the kids all trying to like posture themselves in different ways and having that like gorgeous pristine backdrop also with like the with the knowledge that no one there is having a good time right like mm-hmm. we're watching people fly private jets get in private cars not even have to pick up their bag and walk up like a pristine nature pathway to like the most beautifully architecturally designed hotel you've ever seen and they're like my room's too small it reminded me, honestly, aesthetically of. Uh, Do you ever see that movie Ex Machina? Yes. The, uh, yeah. It reminded me of like Oscar Isaac's house in Ex Machina, like exactly that kind of minimalist, modernist style. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that was intentional in like shooting this on location, and I, I like, yeah, it, it just... increases their isolation. Right, is like shooting it in this location kind of makes them feel more isolated than it would otherwise, right? Their isolation and their complete lack of perspective on what it's like to actually be a working human in the world mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like it's just so far outside the realm of possibility for anyone else. And they're clearly siloed off in that ability to like experience crap like that and still have a miserable time. <laughs> I would I would have a really nice time at that hotel for a weekend. <laughs> You hear that, succession creators? You know, if you have extra uh, points, uh, if you have extra, you know, yeah, is that a Hyatt? Is, <laughs> is that... Yeah, if you have extra Hyatt, re, you know, Hyatt loyalty points, you know, hook Kim up, okay? So, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, let's get to the episode uh, and talk about what actually happened. The morning after the wake, Kendall and Roman have taken charge of business at Waystar Royco and are leading the charge to Norway at Madsen's request. At the start of the episode, the stated goal is to close the merger deal between Waystar and Gojo that Logan had been on his way to close when he died suddenly. Uh, The episode opens with Kendall listening to loud rap as his morning routine, which is the way that Kendall was introduced in Season 1, Episode 1 of the show. A little bit different, though. He is slightly less pathetic this time around, right? (laughs) Uh, 
I, yeah, we can give him that. It was a pretty pathetic intro. Well, because in the intro, he was like listening to, he had like giant noise canceling yeah, headphones yeah. and was in his private car. And they started, they started with like us hearing what Kendall's hearing, which is like this yeah. epic rap song. He's driving through the streets of Manhattan. He's like pumping himself up for a meeting. And then in this episode, the music's just blaring in the car in general. So you miss what they did in that intro was they cut to him like, what it would sound like if you were just watching this guy with his headphones on try to rap along and it sounds deeply embarrassing mm-hmm. <laughs> i then... think it was beastie boys in episode one if i recall mm-hmm. correctly uh, i don't remember uh it was a, another very popular song in this one i don't have it off the top of my head but don't don't write in i i, I will figure it out uh but the uh the thing that was particularly pathetic about episode one was um his driver saying to him, you're the man, Mr. Roy. That was that always stuck with me. He was like, yeah. you're the man, Mr. Roy. Yeah. Anyway. Such uh, an empty hype up, like yeah. obligatory. You're the man. Way to go. Because he was going in to buy Volter, which is something that is referenced in this episode. But anyway, uh, in season one, episode one, as Kim points out in her, our notes, uh, it was Roman coming in and mocking Kendall for his meeting prep. But now Roman is the serious one trying to prepare. Uh, and Shiv is kind of already being cut out of conversations about the company, which is something we could have easily predicted. Like, it's if somebody is not on the actual, in, uh, you know, on the uh, in, in the organizational structure, it's hard to include them in all the meetings. It's very awkward, right? Yeah, and also uh, like I was like ha- I like got a little happy at first because like Roman's like, oh, we should bring Shiv in, and I was like. Yeah, bring Shivit. And then the rest of the episode just proceeds to be like, oh, Roman's going to say that every time. And then Kendall will blow right past uh, he, it. He's, well, he's eventually going to wear him down to the point where it's like, it doesn't make sense to bring Shivit anymore. Yeah. Um, but there's an amazing scene where Shiv, like Frank and Shiv are talking. And Frank's like, did you get this mass email I sent Shiv? And Shiv's like, I don't, you know, I don't think I got it. And here, how can you forward it to me? Um, look, I have worked in corporations for many years. And there is a lot of politics around who gets on the email mm. list. And uh, it is very often a struggle to be on the correct email list. It, it's it's a very annoying thing when you are not on the email list that you want to be on. And you got to have this awkward conversation. Because, you know, if you weren't on it, there's a reason you weren't on it. Because you were not important enough to be included on it. So there's always yeah. this awkward thing that happens where it's like you got to talk with the person who's in charge of, Hey, can, can you, know, can control you them that to, to me? Can you please for it? Can you please add me to the list? And it's like, they never want to add you. Cause it's like, if you were important enough to be on it, you would have been on it. You know, like it's very Dave, who hurt you? Over email? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Who, who do so I need to talk to about who, their email? Search? I don't, I don't know why you're saying who, like it's a singular uh, <laughs> Kim. So anyway, what? Frank, Jerry, Carl, Carolina, Hugo, and Tom are trying to play nice with the Roy kids, and they also want to get the Gojo deal settled because it means a big payday for their shares. They all board a private plane to Norway where the Gojo equivalent executives are having a retreat. Uh, Everyone's on high alert for a kill list. The people Matson's team will deem redundant after the merger. It's like we're watching people meet their Gojo doppelgangers. There is this bizarro scene where, where they meet their bizarro halves like carolina meets their head of comms and they look kind of similar to each other yeah very funny like scene. short brunette hair yeah <laughs> like yeah i don't know why greg is included in this kim like i don't know why he would I, be on the list i but... think he just snuck on didn't someone <laughs> say at the start of the episode like greg you're not in this car or something and he's just like yeah yeah and like keeps walking with tom i don't or, know i don't know i feel like he I, wasn't I, he's an interloper he's a what did what did carl call 
Tom last episode? A um, casual interloper mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. yeah. Clumsy. Yeah. Clumsy yeah, interloper. Clumsy interloper. Yeah. That is that is Greg to a T in this episode. The other thing they're doing in this episode uh, that's a kind of I, I was surprised at how much of a subplot this was is in that opening scene, they're talking about the fact that Waystar Royco is making a movie called Kalispatron. Uh, and they're trying to okay Kalispatron reshoots. Now, I think this is a clear parallel to Transformers. Like it is mm. the Waystar Royco version of Transformers. It's about a robot. It is extremely expensive, and it's almost three hours long. Like this is these are all characteristics of Transformers. Yeah, weren't there um, like six to- Transformers movies total or something? Uh, yeah, there's gonna be a, a new one coming out this summer. Oh my Came god, they're still making them. called Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. Oh, I'm surprised beast. you haven't. The beast. Well, now I'm going to become a really big Transformers fan. Just you better. In time. You better. But yeah. Uh, but, but I think Greg is somehow on the list. I don't know. Anyway, whatever the case, uh, Hugo says it's not a trip to the Guggenheim, Greg. It's musical electric chairs. So they're trying to figure out who's going to survive this merger. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the uh, the plane flight over. Uh, there was a there's a moment where like. Kendall and Roman are clearly trying to figure out how to approach Matson, and Shiv is kind of being her usual and extremely irritating self and downplaying the importance of any of this. Uh, and let me just say a couple of things as a corporate drone, a former corporate drone that I really relate with here. When you have a meeting with someone who is at like, at a very high level. I, I have not had a meeting with a CEO, but I've had meetings with people who have the meetings with CEOs, right? I've had mm-hmm. meetings with people who are like one or two levels away from the CEO and like they need to meet with the CEO. So um, what Kendall and Roman are doing is like a fairly reasonable representation of what is required in that situation, which is you need to prepare for every single possible question and turn of the conversation that it could take. Yeah. Um, you need like, what if they ask you about this? Then this is our response. What if they ask you about this? This is our response, you know? Yeah. And that's what they were doing. What are we going to say about the Kalispatron stuff? You know, like all this stuff. Uh, and that's a hard job. It's hard. It's exhausting. And at the end of the day, you end up not using like 90% of the stuff that you prepare. Um, so I really empathize with them. And then when Shiv comes in and is like, oh, this is all BS. I'm just like, Shut up, Shiv. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, that's kind of that was kind of my reaction there. So, my reaction was just like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is where it falls apart because she's focused on the leaks that we know Kendall is doing, yeah. but no one really knows where they're coming from. So I'm like, great. Kendall's actions are now making Shiv focus on like the story about Logan's death instead of any of this. They also just genuinely don't want to include her in this and they don't want to take the time to explain that to her. So like, you're all just, you know, sheets in the wind at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a nice scene where Hugo comes in and says, and Kendall says, hey, anyone who's leaking stuff, we're going to rat fucker Greg on, uh, rat fucker Sam or whatever his name is. Like, we're going to yeah. get them, okay? Just for, just for show, you know? Just for, like, a little little show there for you. And I feel like Shiv saw through that pretty quickly. Like it only took a few unanswered questions from Kendall, I think, for Shiv to be like, "Oh, okay, you're not." I think everyone, everyone's going to see through Kendall this episode. Is kind of my sense. Right? Yeah. So he's not being subtle. They arrive at the place. Kendall and Roman are trying to steer the conversation in distinct ways. 
Roman is taking the careful, vaguely more compassionate approach to things while Kendall is in robot CEO mode. Um, but when Madsen makes it clear he wants to talk to just them, they leave Shiv behind. Uh, there's a lot of like nice little corporate... Mo- it's like a very awkward situation. You're meeting people. One, people, one group of people is going to have more power than the other group of people. Uh, let me just give you a pro tip, Kim, okay? And people can disagree with this, what I'm about to say, but like uh you can call me superficial you can call me uh too obsessed with appearances but if there's a situation where you are about to meet powerful people for the first time don't load up your plate right beforehand uh because it just is a really it 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 doesn't make you look more powerful if you have like a plate full of freaking focaccia and you know yeah, Whatever. like six different morning pastries. Six different like morning pastries and you know charcuterie. Like it, you, you, it, it makes you look weak because you're you're handling all this stuff very delicately while being like, oh hey, person who might fire me. Like it's just it's just an awkward situation. I'm not saying don't eat. I'm not saying like you need to look thin or anything. I'm just saying. I'm just saying like wait until the meeting has happened and then get the food afterwards. That's just my advice. Take it or leave it. Take it yeah, or leave it. Yeah, because wasn't it kind of a trap? Like, didn't they say, like, <laughs> oh, you guys are just going to have brunch? And then, like, halfway through them filling up their plates, they were like, oh, shit, the Swedes are here. So it yeah, was like, it, it literally was a trap because I think the Swedes knew those greedy Americans are going to fill up their plates and then look like fools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very subtle. It's not, it's not, a, it's just very subtle, like, Kind of like, if I'm meeting you, I would prefer to not be holding a plate of food. That's all I'm saying, right? I'm like, also like, at a standing situation yeah, where we're standing. mingling, don't yes. give me a plate yes. with, and then a drink. You can't no. shake hands. No, you can't. no. It's Terrible. bad. It's bad. Terrible. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you agree with that, Kim. I'm so yeah. glad you agree with that. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mattson the whole time acts super weird and squirrely and bizarre and mercurial, right? Um, but... Uh, yeah, the whole, like, he'll meet you up top. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I saw that they, it was like, a, I thought that that meant, like, oh, on the second story of this building or something. Then I was like, oh, no, it's a gondola to the top of a mountain where mm-hmm. he has, like, a lair, for lack of a better word. And, again, I just love that they made it hard for themselves, like, uh, the yeah. filmmakers. Because it's like, that place at the top of the mountains looks like they had to uh looks like that gondola is one yeah it looks like that gondola is one of the only ways to get equipment up there but they filmed in the gondola too you know and they filmed on on top of it so it's like they had to like move up all the equipment and all the crew up there probably uh so and they didn't have to they didn't have to they could have just had it on at base camp but they did it all the way up there and so it's really pretty remarkable um but yeah Matson and kendall and roman meet and they kind of negotiate uh, about what the amount is the the dollar amounts were a little bit confusing in this episode i will say yeah uh, because i think kendall writes on a board 144 billion is that what he says or is it 144 dollars per share i don't recall exactly Do you, you know when he's when they're moving yeah. up there and he writes on a board right i i thought that that was like the total sale price when he was doing that on the board but then yeah in these conversations they start talking about a share price and well, here, so if it was 144, that would explain everyone's reactions to the 182 or one and then eventually the final number, because that is significantly higher than what their goal was. Well, here is what I will say. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I think when Logan passed away, 
um, there was a uh, moment where Roman looks at his phone yeah. and sees how far the Waystar Royco shares have fallen in after hours trading or whatever. Yeah. I have screen grabbed that moment. Uh-huh. And the dollar amount of shares is one forty-five, uh, $145.12, right? Uh. And it was down like... And it was probably uh, still dropping because that was like that was right after Shiv did the press conference announcement. So it makes sense that like Roman looked at his phone and that was like mid-fall. And then mm-hmm. if it fell a little bit no, more, I, th- I think I think that was probably like at the base the of the fall. Yeah, about the floor. But, and they said but, that it, it went up a little bit. After. Yeah, they said that it went it went back up. Back so it's presumably higher than. But but the 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 most important number I think is at the end. He says like one ninety one or one ninety two, right, Two, or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. So one ninety two. So it's, that is a significant premium over the 145 that it was at. Now, I wish they yeah. had made these numbers a little bit clearer during the course of the episode, but like suffice to say, like the, the most important takeaway is the number at the end is freaking huge. That's kind of like right. the most important takeaway, right? Right, uh, cuz I agree it could have been more clear, but what I liked about my <laughs> slight confusion, like when when the converse when the episode moves to being just Matson, Kendall and Roman, like I thought the the tension in that scene, the editing, the direct, like it was so good. And I was right. I was like right there being like, I think I know what a win here would look like for one side or the other. But then he said that number and I was like, I don't, I don't know right now if that's a win. Mm -hmm. And so then it was actually kind of fun to like sit there and try to figure out what Kendall and Roman were thinking, which is what they were doing too. Like trying to like, react in real time without showing mats in their hand and then it was very thrilling when they like finally left the room and told the execs and i like as soon as i saw the execs react to it then i knew for sure like this is that's that's a really good number yeah it's a good it's a good that's it's a good number because i think they were coming into this thinking madsen was going to torpedo the deal like yeah that that was their fear now you you say like kendall and roman are trying to figure it out and uh I think if I'm to grade their performance this episode, it would be um, probably a C minus up until the end, at which it would plummet to F. Yeah, I was gonna go like D plus there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, they, they, they like imagine Logan in the situation with Madsen. That is not how Logan would behave because Logan would yeah. be very clear about what he wanted. Now, to be fair, yeah. as Roman points out, their dad did just die two days ago. You know, and that is a very reasonable thing to be upset about and to be distracted by uh and so on but uh they look like the freaking keystone cops you know like whatever analogy you want to use like they look very very incompetent and outmatched this whole episode and i think that's intentional like i think you're supposed to think that they're doing a bad job especially Um, because if we again think back to the first season and they've been in this exact position before where when Logan couldn't do his job, they got named as like interim co-CEOs or whatever. It was like COO and CEO. And they similarly just clowned that situation <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. They have learned nothing in their intervening seasons of the show, basically. Right? And it's like, it's like we're watching them clown themselves into the ground again, but like in a slightly more elevated way. <laughs> right. I mean, here's the thing. I actually think, I would actually argue that Roman does a much better, like Roman is overall like, decently competent yeah uh throughout most of it like the stuff he's saying is all pretty reasonable it's all very professional and that's what makes his break at the end very bad what what is bad though is not that like roman didn't say the right words it's that they don't know what they're doing they're not in sync on like they didn't even evaluate this as a possibility right 
Right. Um, they're they're they are consciously acting out of petty personal reasons, not right, right. Bi- not or, sound business strategy. Right. Or guided by passion or guided by you know and you know, again, yeah. somewhat understandable because Logan just passed away, but like they didn't game out any of this. They weren't like, okay, scenario one, Matson declines. Scenario two, Matson offers wants to buy the whole thing. Scenario three, like these these are like basic things that any executive would kind of yeah. uh, ha- have potentially planned out for, and yeah, um, they did not. They did it, not. So it does remind me of the karaoke bar scene and how right towards the end of that conversation when Logan was like trying to press them for an answer of why he should ask for more money, like trying to like really hear their reasoning and they both kind of entered this almost like mocking tone being like it's just my gut it's just what i think i should do and i thought that they were kind of like digging at logan in that moment of like they've probably heard him right. say something yes, yeah, no, he, they, they were quoting him when they said that. yeah, yeah. so yeah. i think that this is us seeing that kendall and roman think they can step into that mode of like operating on my gut and just closing the deal but like they cannot they well the one thing that I think I am sympathetic for is like later on, Kendall makes the pitch, hey, we should tank this deal. And the reason we should tank this deal is because he's not going to get the company. He he doesn't get the company and like he's going to ruin it. Now, we have literally just seen a billionaire buy a media company and in my opinion, ruin it. So it is not a thing. I'm talking, about, of course, of Elon Musk, who I think heavily inspired the character of Batson, purchasing Twitter. And I think he has made Twitter worse. Um New York Times just wrote a piece recently about how he's basically like the the guy who bought your local bar and then, you know, let in Nazis into the bar. Like, it, it's it's not a good situation over there on Twitter. Yeah. So that is actually a decent argument. Um, the the thing – and imagine Elon Musk saying he wants to buy Fox News. And he's like, I'm going to revitalize Fox News. That would be a very weird thing to do. That would be a weird, very weird thing to want to do. Like, um, and And so it is – understandable why Kendall thinks it would be a bad idea, but it doesn't feel driven by business decision-making certainly. Right. It feels yeah. driven by Roman is driven by his hatred of this guy. Madsen. Yeah. Kendall is being driven by his desire to stay at the top and, and run this empire. I think, I think, right. So it's, it's not completely devoid of any rationale, but it's not like, He's not a, they're not like cold blooded killers, like making the best move for financially speaking. Ironically, Shiv is. She's like, just get rid of it. That's fine. Who cares? Like, honestly, we're going to be fine. Like, (laughs) we need need the money anyway. You know, like, it's fine. You know, totally. Hey, Kim, I don't think this Pierce deal is really going to happen. That's my guess. But Uh, we'll see. Shiv in the Shiv in this episode. I feel like this is a to me. I came away being like, oh, this was a Shiv episode for me in terms of watching her once again try to navigate like an unwinnable position Mm -hmm. that she has both put herself in and been placed in i actually think this was the most competent shiv has looked in a very long time this episode uh so i maybe disagree with you i think well because i think maybe we're talking about two different things because i think she was very competent but just to what end (laughs) well so she kind of gets in she kind of ingratiates herself with Matson. i think Matson's kind of like attracted to her is my sense uh, I don't know. Uh, do you get a? Do you get any psychosexual drama from that scene between the two of them, or is it just me? Uh, to me, to me, it started. I literally like I was typing my notes and went all like, like just letters on the keyboard when they all first saw Matson, 
and he hugs Kendall, he hugs Roman, and then he makes it fucking weird when it's Shiv's turn. And Mm -hmm. I have been in that position. Mm -hmm. It is a weird thing about like corporate office culture where women literally get treated differently just because they are a woman, not because of a like a relationship reason or whatever. And like Mm -hmm. Matson could have easily just gone in for a casual hug with her too for all the siblings. But instead by like singling out like, oh, am I going to need a lawyer if I hug? Like that itself is a microaggression. That itself Mm, is sexual harassment. And so like by the time that she was, I feel like Shiv clocked that immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. And then strategized around it. Sure, yeah. And so everything happening between her and Matson did have an edge to it for me, but not because I thought there was like some genuine sexual attraction happening, but because I think that they both knew that they were in a power play with each other. And that obviously, based on his confession to her about this other employee who he's also in the middle of sexually harassing, like... In a much more dramatic way. in a much more dramatic way like just like that's what i mean when i say like shiv was in an unwinnable situation i think that she navigated it well but yeah what what i appreciated is that this actually this whole madsen situation actually plays to shiv's strengths because shiv in the past has been a political consultant so it's her job to like make people look good and this is it feels like the show setting up a situation where shiv can actually shine where she actually knows what she's talking about uh, and so I appreciated that because yeah. she comes off as like quite competent. Like the the, the yeah. advice she gave him was actually really good. Like stop sending people your blood. That's a really solid piece of advice, you know. Um, but it was and, also like, yeah, go ahead, finish. Yeah, well, well, just it just it just felt like, oh, hey, like I'm unused to sh- the show giving Shiv an opportunity to like actually show how competent she is, and I appreciate that it, it did provide her that opportunity. Right. So, and I think I just mourn for the fact that every time Shiv's being competent, it's because she is knifing another woman totally in the back yeah, to it's make true. it happen. <laughs> that's true. It is It is quite the coincidence, isn't it? That that's uh, how it plays out every single time. But, when yeah. Matson called his current comms person an estrogen air freshener, mm. I was like, oh, like just <laughs> my soul dies on kind of a regular basis when I read things about famous men in the news but like Mm -hmm. to see it to to watch the way that they very i think um realistically put out those dynamics happening in like a live conversation mingling scenario like that was just Mm -hmm. brutal well there is a scene between those scenes we're talking about where shiv kendall and roman sit down with matson uh after (laughs) Greg and Tom have tried to have a go at Madsen, which is like one of the most painful things ever. I was like, this, this, they should not have allowed that to happen. And every single time Tom needs to interact with someone important, he fumbles it so badly. You know what I mean? He tried the ludicrously capacious bag angle on Madsen and it just did not work. He was like, remember when we both made fun of a poorer person than us a while ago? And Madsen was like, no. Just nothing, nothing, just nothing. Uh, they they start laughing at him in uh in I actually tried to use Google in Translate. Swedish. <laughs> yeah, I actually tried to use was it Swedish? I'm not sure. I don't know. I tried to use Google Translate to like translate, and I couldn't. I couldn't get it. So may, this is what I will ask you: if you do know what they were saying, um, please email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let me know um what Matson and his worker were saying about Tom and Greg. I would love to know that. It was um, so fascinating to watch that be 
a turning point for Kendall in this negotiating session of like, oh, I draw the line at you mocking our you nepotism. Mocking <laughs> our, how dare you imply that not everyone here has earned a spot that they obviously haven't. Like, And the whole like American versus European vibe of this episode mm-hmm. was also really interesting to me because Jesse Armstrong's British, right? Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, and it's always been very fascinating to me that like like Jesse Armstrong, John Oliver, these British men who then spend a lot of time in America, it's a very it's very interesting to see whenever their whenever their media then shines a light on a very specific American thing. And it's almost like I've heard from other people that like with John Oliver, it's like sometimes easier to hear that from a non-American, like to get yeah. that kind of criticism it's from easier an to outside observe perspective. It's, it's, it's yeah. easier, easier for non-American to observe it too, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the American versus European corporate culture nuances that we were seeing in here, fascinating to me. So they sit down with Matson again and he's like, hey, we're just passing the time while waiting for your counter offer. And it's just like, Matson is like humiliating these guys at every turn because earlier on, Matson was like, Hey, just in case you don't know how this works, like typically I say something and then you say what you want. And that's how, and it's just like, Matson is absolutely right. Like he is 100% correct that that is how it should work. And these guys, Kendall and Roman, are just completely screwing it. It just is. He's an hard. emotional terrorist. It- <laughs> It's painful. So you're like, you're like, oh, poor Kendall. I'm like, it's painful to watch these people be so incompetent. That's all I'm saying. It's not even necessarily that I'm like pitying Kendall and Roman in any mm-hmm. of these scenes, but yeah. it is very obvious to me that Matson is also not very serious about a lot of this stuff. Right. And, that and he's, he, not a, he's not a nice person, you know? It's, no, not, and he yeah. does seem to enjoy yeah. like tormenting, like yeah. tormenting them and then pointing out that he's tormenting them and getting away with it. And yeah. then, like, making them yeah. eat their crap a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, totally. making them really rich. But, like, the, with the moment when he was finally like, I'm just trying to make you rich, I was like, yeah, guys, just take <laughs> take the money. Yes. Like. Wow. I didn't I didn't know. Is this is that Logan Roy on the other end of the podcast <laughs> just now? I thought I was talking with Kim Renfro uh, hey, hosting Decoding TV. I want them to take the money and heal. Okay. This, these are. These are. I'm I'm a I'm a double sided oh, yeah. coin here. Take yeah, the money, yeah. also use it for extensive therapy. <laughs> Indeed. So Kendall and Roman they talk about tanking the deal because Kendall ostensibly is like, hey, I like us running this company, uh, and Matson's going to ruin it. Which I actually think Kendall's right. Matson would ruin it. Uh, Roman, or at least break it apart for parts, as he said, yeah, right? Yeah. Like intentionally just dissolve everything. Yeah. Roman freaking hates this guy's guts, so he's up for tanking the deal. Uh, they can't tank the deal in such a way that it looks like they tank the deal, though, because then the board would say, "Hey, these guys are uh, acting against their fiduciary duties." Right, because every the, single person who's not them wants, wants to be benefit, paid above yes. market value for their <laughs> yes. shares in this company right now. It would benefit yeah. them. Everyone. It would benefit the shareholders. Like they, they can't not. They, they have to tank the deal. You know, I, I think that Roman's reaction to Madsen is actually very human and very understandable because one of the most chilling lines of last episode, uh, the honeymoon states episode, was when. Matson's assistant calls them on the phone and he and he's like, Yeah, you know, our dad just died. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Tough one. Or something like that. Like, oh, that's that's a tough one. And Roman's like, Yep, yep, it's it's a tough one. Thank you for that. You know, like 
they had no compassion whatsoever about like yeah no emotion of any kind which i think was actually not cool and and actually debatably a bad um business negotiating tactic right like do you need to be (laughs) cold and callous towards the people that you're trying to land this deal with absolutely necessary but you know maybe uh maybe it's a tactic because they wanted to provoke a strong reaction uh anyway so kendall gets roman on board with tanking the deal and kendall asks uh so kendall springs into action he's like we're gonna seed stories with uh the news media that there's a culture clash and also we're gonna stream screen calypsotron for the uh gojo staff so they see what terrible assets they're purchasing and how much trouble it's going to be uh and that is the plan as they head into a final conversation with Madsen. Yeah. Also, so, uh, shout out Jess because that woman has clearly been working insane hours to pull off the things that Kendall asks for on a whim, including a screening of a movie that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. I, I don't even know how that's even possible, but uh, I liked that. I, I, I had a little pride for Jess. I was watching Jess, you know, she's been here since like season one, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and it's like, Oh, look at you, Jess. You made it all the way to the top. You made it. You're the assistant to the top person now, you know, I hope Good she had Jess. a nice time. And like the yeah. time I would have in Norway, I, I <laughs> hope Jess was getting at least some of that between her overnight work hours to make a yeah. uh, movie screening happen. So, that's kind of what they try to they try to sabotage the deal but not make it seem like it's coming from them uh they ride up the gondola with madsen and then madsen basically sees through all their bs and is like are you trying to tank asks are you trying to tank the deal and they say no we're just trying to let you know how much of a troubled shoot calypsotron is and you know just trying to be straight with you here like you're trying to and he's like he he instantly sees through them because he says you're scooby doing this um and and he says uh he says a few things about their father. He says, you know, your father was a prick, but at least he knew what he wanted. I think mm-hmm. he'd be embarrassed if he saw you now. Uh, which are both things that I think are actually true. But, you know, as you said. Well, Logan was embarrassed <laughs> before. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but it's at that point then you see like, oh, yeah, I guess they really are. Like, I guess Kendall and Roman really are pretty bad at their jobs today. You know, like, I think they are not doing well at this um they didn't do well at either thing like (laughs) they weren't the ones who negotiated a better price nor did they succeed in their actual plan which was to tank the deal okay so so then i want to talk about the tom shiv stuff you know later but like basically the episode ends with mattson saying you know roman blows up and it's actually very powerful very good scene because you you sense like roman who has been until this point bottling it up not sharing his feelings he finally is like this is too much like i need to uh i need to say something and he's like we're gonna put sand in the gears it's gonna we're not gonna respond to emails for six months it's gonna suck for you to acquire us um would sand not really mess up gears that much though (laughs) maybe maybe i was like don't you Uh, put rocks in gears and then they turn into sand yeah yeah perhaps sorry but kieran culkin kieran culkin was incredible in this episode yeah you sense all this rage he he never shows emotion like that in general, right? Like that character never shows emotion because he's too cool to have emotions. He's and, a middle child, which yeah, relatable. And for him to like sh- show emotion like that is 
both extremely unprofessional. It's like the most unprofessional thing he's ever said and very rare for the character. And I really felt for him in that moment that he hates this guy, this guy who made him work two days after his dad died, who's trying to basically disgrace the legacy of his dad, who he has complicated feelings about. It's a very powerful scene. Any thoughts on this whole sequence, Kim, which is kind of the culminating event of the episode? Yeah, I I liked the both like intimacy of it. And again, because of the location that they chose to shot on, like, I mean, to the point that it's on the nose where Matson's like, look at all those little people beneath us, you know, to like to see these three men on this mountaintop kind of like actually being honest with one another for a change. But yeah, I think that I think that this was a really important moment for Roman and Kendall in terms of like a limit to their ability to like really make a difference in the way that they want to. Like you can just kind of see how they are being held back by themselves but certainly by everyone around them like they just they they don't have any allies left including shiv now possibly because mm-hmm. they clearly alienated her enough to the point that now that relationship is under question so yeah. there is this weird moment when madsen says you guys are screwed now and then yeah. later on makes them an offer uh, like my perception and i'm not sure if this is correct is he's saying you're screwed up because you have basically showed your hand as to like what you want to have happen. And now I will come in with an offer so high that if you turn it down, um, you will be, you know, fired. Like you will not be able to survive at the, at the company. Right. Um, that was my, that was my sense of what he was saying in that moment, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know if you had a read on it, Kim. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, until I knew what he was going to do, I wasn't right, sure exactly. what that meant. Yeah, but yeah, then exactly, once, yeah. once Frank got the call, and I was like, oh, I guess he just meant in terms of like, they won't get what they want. Maybe worst case scenario, they could get in trouble for having done what they did in terms of trying to tank a business deal. I'm sure that there's some SEC <laughs> regulation against that or something. Part of me was like, was he secretly recording them on this mountaintop? Right, <laughs> like- right, right. right. I, I do think that having it on the mountaintop was really great because it's like, you know that no one else is watching and uh, and you know no one's they're not being monitored in any way although like it really did increase the danger for me like mm, i really did one, feel like anything one shove happen- <laughs> yeah i really did feel like is roman gonna like shove this guy down the mountain like that's a thing that could is that look a thing us. that could happen in the show you know look yeah, at us I switching know. places didn't even occur yeah, to me i know that I know, someone I know. might get shoved <laughs> off a cliff <laughs> well, there there you are well, because there's, there's like no cameras of any kind. There's no one yeah. around. It's like if anything terrible is going to happen, it would happen up here anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was, I like, again, red flags with Matson being the one who calls Shiv directly in that moment. And it's like, send me a picture of their faces, which like, yeah, immediately cozies up Matson and Shiv of like, now it's them two against Roman and Kendall in this. Yeah, and so it's kind of like, oh, it's repeating. This is where I was like, this episode's kind of, at the end of the day, only okay for me is like, it's repeating these dynamics of Shiv versus the other two guys. Yeah. We've seen this before. Um, but it is an interesting dynamic to have Matson in the mix. You know, we'll see how that plays out. Tom and Shiv have a few, a few weird interactions this episode. Um, I mean, first of all, what becomes clear is Everyone's celebrating what the Roy, you know, boys did because they theoretically got Matson to a higher number. I love how Roman says, "If you tell anyone I said this to you, I'm just going to say it was a negotiating tactic," which is, um, yeah, uh, which is a line that I need to use more in my life. 
But I remember uh, arguing with someone else. If you tell anyone else I said this, it, I'm just going to say it was a negotiating tactic. So I'm going to um, say I was speaking in a humorous tone. <laughs> yes. In a comic vein. Yeah. Is what I was commenting. <laughs> uh, but Madsen basically does everything that Shiv says to do in the episode, right? He, she, she says, hey, we have a great person, Carolina. Um, uh, Jerry, Jerry, can, Jerry can maneuver you through this. Right. Yeah. And so like those people are kept. And Tom is also somebody who is not on the kill list. What is going on between Tom and Shiv this episode? Because they have this kind of confrontational moment at the, at the meeting. But then at the very end of the episode, uh, Shiv invites Tom for dinner after they get back. Um, it, it I is, felt like, I felt like this was Shiv, Shiv feeling that she's getting kicked by everyone else and then turning around and kicking Tom. Cause she's, he, she's the, like, Aside from Greg, I guess, but like it just felt to me like Shiv taking out her uh, frustrations and pain on Tom because she can. Well, I got a very different vibe from it. Why, why would she invite him? Uh, my sense was Shiv has felt powerless throughout mm-hmm. all of this, and her dynamic with Tom was most enjoyable for Shiv when she felt like she was more powerful than him. Yeah. Now she's got Madsen doing her bidding. And so she she's feeling her power again. And so she's like, hey, Tom, maybe let's make up again because I think I can figure out a way for us to be in this relationship. If you, Tom, do everything I say, if I can, like, knock you around a bit. That's why she asks him out for dinner at the end. That, that was kind of my perception. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you right you know, i think we I, I think we could, i think we kind of agree we're just talking yeah, because, about it because because they, they have like an antagonistic argument but then like at the end she she's like hey do you want to go for dinner when we get home like it's like why would she say that unless she something about her opinion of tom her attitude towards tom had changed that's my perception mm, um see, it, it her her treatment of him in this episode felt to me like like abusive spouse behavior mm-hmm, creeping mm-hmm. back in, right? Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like, as, yeah, it just, it felt like the invitation to dinner came across to me like a kind of a threat of mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, of like yeah. oh, I've now made it clear that I'm the reason you weren't on that kill list. So if you want a job and any future mm-hmm. in this company, you have to be nice to me now. So like, let's go to dinner, sweetie. Like it felt almost like, passive aggressive but like i i don't know it felt wrong <laughs> emotionally it did not feel good it didn't feel like that's like oh maybe tom and shiv are reconciling it felt to me like oh tom and shiv's circumstances both just changed again and shiv's taking advantage of this power dynamic once more mm-hmm. and i still like they didn't address any of her pregnancy stuff in this episode so we went we went another full day just not knowing what she thinks or feels or plans to do about the fact that she's pregnant most likely with tom's baby right and and if it was like a really true egalitarian relationship uh she would probably tell him what was going on there right right um did you also notice that shiv at various points in the episode consumed alcohol I, I, i i think oh yeah yeah, like like when she's meeting with Mets in one on one, I feel like she takes a swig of a drink, and then on the plane, I feel like she's also drinking alcohol, which is like, I, I think kind of pointed because again, one of the reasons we thought she might be pregnant in previous episodes was because she denied alcohol. So I thought she was like doing a really sneaky thing because I saw her do it with the cocaine, mm-hmm. where she like took it 
and then just fiddled with it while she was talking and set mm-hmm. it back down without having uh-huh. actually done any. So, so maybe and she's not time, really drinking. Yeah. I thought that she's doing like the pressed lip thing where she mm. keeps taking the glass of alcohol and then like mid conversation, but not actually drinking any hmm. because the old, she's the old pressed lip trick. Huh? Cause I do remember back we talked, yeah, we talked about the fact that she didn't seem, she seemed to be going straight for like water whenever there was like a water right. glass tray around. But in the karaoke scene, they were drinking what I thought was like soju or sake. And it was like, mm-hmm. everyone had a clear glass. And I like what she like, I was like, Oh, is she drinking that? But she just kind of like did the pressed lip thing for a second and then set it back down. So I don't know. She might, she might still not be drinking, but it's definitely, they are keeping us in the dark entirely about how she feels about this pregnancy and what she intends to do and how she is relating right. to that in her consumption of drugs and alcohol and <laughs> and fish i guess isn't there like she can't have pasteurized cheese or something either i've uh, i don't know i'm someone who's been familiar. pregnant can tell us but yeah, yeah. don't don't you don't need to don't don't need, e- <laughs> don't need to email at decoding tv at gmail.com we'll we'll figure that one out ourselves um <laughs> you, you can't you can't just toss that around sorry, Kim, or else we're gonna get we're gonna get like 50 emails about what so you can sorry. do when you're pregnant please don't <laughs> tell me that you like our podcast not what i can't eat if i'm eventually <laughs> pregnant <laughs> okay okay any other thoughts on this episode of the show oh uh there were a few other parallels i wanted to bring up um, yeah with real life stuff that's going on you know, so l- l- why don't we end on that? We don't. We usually have quotes, favorite quotes. We're not going to do that today, uh, but we will end with uh, some parallels that I wanted to bring up to real life stuff. Um, so before we do that, Kim, do you want to share with people where they can find you on the internet? Uh, these days, I'm hanging around Instagram mostly. Me and mm-hmm. my cat Casper. So mm-hmm. I'm at Mick M I K underscore Renfro on Instagram. All right, check him out there. And of course, if you are enjoying this podcast. Uh, find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Find us uh, uploading videos at youtube.com slash decodingtv. Also, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, at decodingtv. We're publishing new videos there every week. Follow us across all those platforms. And uh, become a paid member at decodingtv.com if you want to uh, support what we do here on the podcast. We really, really appreciate uh, uh, appreciate everyone who's supporting us at decodingtv.com. Um, okay. So there were a couple of other parallels uh, that I wanted to bring up. Um, something that Shiv says to the other guys, like they, they come to her and they say, hey, here's what Madsen said. And she says, hey, I heard that like Sid has a line into Jared Menken's campaign, mm, right? Mm-hmm. This mirrors an actual real life plot line with Fox News. Um, look, uh, the, one, one of the things I found very interesting is Roger Ailes used to run Fox News. Roger Ailes was, by all accounts, a monster. Like, sexually harassed people, was abusive, like, just a a complete terrible person. But he evidently ran a very tight ship at Fox News. And uh, one of the things that I heard commented on was Fox News would, under the Ailes era, would never have allowed people at Fox to be actively involved in Political, uh, campaign public, political campaigns because because Ailes knew that you needed to maintain the illusion of objectivity on Fox News and that is not present in the current incarnation of Fox News. Um, Fox News host Sean Hannity appeared at a Trump rally 
in 2018. And apparently he helped to write an ad for the Trump campaign in 2020. Um, and that is generally discouraged by journalistic organizations. You cannot be actively contributing to campaigns or be involved in campaigns. So the Sid being involved in Mencken's campaign feels like a direct parallel to that real yeah. life plotline for me. Yeah. Like there being a open line of communication, whether it's text, whether it's a burner phone, whether it's something between a pending presidential candidate or any political campaign and the person running the entire news network. Yeah. Uh, the other parallel that came to mind was Matson sending his, his colleague a uh, half a liter of his blood, which by the way is a large quantity. I just want to put that out there. Like half yeah, a liter is like, like a big, significant... big soda yeah. things are like two liters. Right. right. So it's like so... A, a quarter of that, a quarter of that. Right. Um, and uh, it reminded me, honestly, of Jared Leto. Do you remember this Jared Leto stuff? Around uh, like Suicide Squad filming? Yeah, like when he played Joker, there were there were rumors that he sent salacious presents to his fellow cast members, like used condoms and anal beads and stuff like that. Uh, and he has subsequently uh, said, quote, to Entertainment Weekly, any of the few, very few gifts that were ever given were given with a spirit of fun and adventure and received with laughter, fun and adventure, end quote. Anyway, it just reminded me of like, hey, that's another guy, another weird ass dude that sent out weird ass shit to his colleagues. It made so. me think of the reports on people who like literally have like blood boys, for lack of a better word. Like th there are like some sort of like execs business people out there who like transfuse younger people's blood with their own blood right yeah that's true that's i've read thing. about that's that thing. if you're a billionaire you can get a young get person. fresh blood so get i'm like maybe matson is <laughs> siving off his yeah, what, unused blood what, what, what are you gonna do with the old blood you can't just keep pumping in new blood you sometimes you gotta get rid of the old blood right and that, that's matson's logic probably right probably like he <laughs> he is he is that nonsensical of a person to me in the way that he seems to talk about people and things. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yet in this parallel universe to ours, he is incredibly powerful and can change the lives of people on a whim with yeah. a tweet or a corporate buyout where he then fires 90% of the staff or whatever it is. The system works. <laughs> and on that note, thanks so much for listening to this episode of decoding TV. <laughs> She is Kim Renfro. I'm David Chen. Uh, next week, it'll be another recap of Succession, this time season four, episode six next week. Until then, goodbye. Bye.